Hello, the Digital Journey community, and welcome back to another episode. We're extremely excited to be diving in to the first episode of the year and continuing to bring you real experiences from real operators to help you identify how technology can take your business to the next level. And as always, I have my co-host and right-hand man, Brandon Schaefer, here to help me. Hey, Brandon, how's it going hey. this week? Hey, man, it's, it's going good, man. I'm excited to be here tonight. As usual, you do a phenomenal job at setting this up on, on um, getting guests on and everything else like that. So I'm just I'm, I continue to be more impressed and more impressed and more impressed. And tonight, our guest, uh, James, is another phenomenal person. So um, looking forward to getting into the content and and like always, just sitting back, listening, learning and then sharing some of my experiences as well. So. Definitely. I think, you know, tonight's topic uh, focused on how cloud and remote work right, have impacted ecosystems is, is really one that all of us can feel or, you know, um, feel relevant. And, and it's really something we've all experienced, right, whether we notice it or not. Um, so we're extremely excited to dive in. So let's not wait any longer. Um, let's bring in our featured guest for this week, uh, James Baroud. James, it's so nice to have you on. Thanks for taking the time. Glad to be here, folks. Awesome, awesome. So before we go too much into you know cloud, remote work, ecosystems, how the whole world is changing, uh, and how it's impacting businesses, I'd, I'd love for the audience you know to get a better picture of yourself, James, and and kind of where your background is. So maybe we can start with Innovation Plus and you know what you're doing there and, and how that whole journey started. Sure. So Innovation Plus is sort of a culmination of 25 years. Uh, sort of supporting startup and tech ecosystems. So I started uh, doing this type of work when I uh, worked at the Rothman Institute of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at Fairleigh Dickinson University. So I, I started there as an assistant director and then I, I, I ran it as an executive director for over 10 years. So I was there a total of 17 years helping not only students, but entrepreneurs in the community uh, start and grow their businesses. So that was uh, really uh, impactful for me and impactful for the community. And then after that, um, I was recruited to lead the New Jersey Tech Council, which is a large trade association focused on tech companies mostly, but others as well, anything that's tech enabled. Uh, and that was a really great experience for over five years, uh, helped revitalize that organization and, and strengthen it where we had over a thousand members uh, by the time I left uh, five years later. And then since then, I've been doing a lot of the same work, helping entrepreneurs, helping companies raise money, helping uh, larger companies be innovative, uh, helping institutions, higher ed institutions, uh, connect with the community and, and, and build and have st stronger entrepreneurship programs and stronger connections to the startup community. Um, I've done that um, particularly during the pandemic and of course, um, all along the way, helping entrepreneurs on a personal level uh, be more successful. So that brought me to Innovation Plus, which is, again, an umbrella uh, community uh, that's been created uh, really to nurture and support not only entrepreneurs who are starting new businesses, but innovators uh, in larger corporations and in the nonprofit world. So it's been a really uh, fun time. Uh, building out this uh, community, again, from a vast network, which I've uh, created <laughs> over the past 25 years. And it's just really nice to uh, be able to have 
impact, particularly during this you know, difficult time uh, during the pandemic? Definitely, you know, and I mean, a lot of the community is very similar, right? I think those communities is what fosters a lot of innovation and, and growth, you know, for a lot of these early stage companies that used to need to go out and get fundraising, you know, just to put pen to paper or get started on their idea. And now, you know, you have talent that you can work with and, and people are feel like are just a lot more open. Um, do you feel like since, you know, your earlier days with the other communities and then the New Jersey Tech Council that um, a lot of the digital ecosystems and the way that entrepreneurs are communicating has changed significantly? Well, I think, you know, anything, the hallmarks of a good startup ecosystem is the willingness to help each other, right? Um, clearly, uh, the pandemic has made people a bit more generous, right? We're all in this together. We're all trying to help each other out. So that's been sort of the upshot of a, of a terrible, horrific pandemic that, we're, that uh, we're in right now, is that people, particularly in the early months, uh, year or so, uh, there was so much of an outpouring of support for trying to help one another, right? And that was really uh, wonderful to sort of be part of and actually take advantage of, because I, I know I did, we did everything by Zoom, we still do, um, and, and just getting people to uh, provide insights and to provide help for others um, in the community was really heartwarming to, to watch and, and, and sort of help, um, help spread. Definitely. No, I couldn't agree more. I think Fortunately, a lot of us came together, whether it's because we're all home and bored and wanted to talk to each other or, um, you know, obviously there was a lot of other pressing challenges that came with it. Um, and a lot of experts, you know, even ourselves, we were working with a lot of new clients and communities and, you know, just really spreading our, our digital connections, if you will. And, and it's been a really interesting time. And, you know, at the end of the day, obviously, there's a lot of communities out there, right? Um, nowadays, communities could be a Facebook group, right, a LinkedIn group, and then obviously, you know, proper ecosystems, if we want to title it that. Um, so when it comes to the communities that you've helped develop, James, right, um, from the New York Tech Council and now Innovation Plus, uh, they're truly ecosystems, right, on top of obviously the community uh, mantra that's pushed within all the members, you know, are driven and based around the same values to help one another. But at the end of the day, you know, it's a, a full living and breathing ecosystem of all these different people. Um, so I'm just curious, you know, with all these different ecosystems that exist, um, what would you say defines like a successful ecosystem of, you know, a successful community where all these relationships are being fostered? And it's not just, you know, one person going around and asking everybody for favors. That's right. Now, that's a really important question because um, a lot of people don't know what an ecosystem is, even though it's pretty simple. Most people um, hear that word and they think of maybe a, a biological ecosystem. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> the rainforest, right? But similarly, an ecosystem has several parts, right? And I, I like to sort of call out five stakeholders to an ecosystem, right? You have the entrepreneurs, right? Uh, those are the sort of the... Uh, real special part of people starting and launching businesses, right? And then you have um, you have investors, right? And those investors are funding businesses, right? Um, and then you have um, higher education, right? From community colleges to universities uh, that are supplying new entrepreneurs, right? And providing resources for entrepreneurs to help launch their business. Of course, you also have 
uh, nonprofit organizations like the one I one, ones I mentioned before, a lot of entrepreneurship support organizations. Um, and then there are, uh, of course, uh, is government, right? And I, I want to mention one other that, that you know, some people forget, but they sort of, they help lubricate the whole system is these trusted advisors, right? Accountants, lawyers, bankers, right? Those are important. Those are important pieces as well. And so when you have all of those five or six stakeholders um, working in a, an optimal way, uh, everyone's, you know, trying to get to the same goal, right? And that's sort of a community where it's uh, encouraged, uh, it's easy, um, and there's help along the way. So anyone who's starting a business could be helped along the way. And I, I should have said corporates. If I didn't, I should have said corporates as well. So those are large companies. They're part of this innovation ecosystem, right? From uh, companies who are starting, right, to large companies who are partnering or even um, gobbling up smaller companies, right, um, to get that innovation, right? So, so the, and then the university is obviously supplying the talent, right? And then you have government, which are making, hopefully, lower taxes for all of us, um, but also doing some programs which help uh, create incentives for investors to invest, for entrepreneurs to start, for entrepreneurs to stay um, in the community, uh, and to, to also give back. So the, the, the other lubricant is the generosity of people in general, of course, everyone and those, those five or six stakeholders, but primarily when an entrepreneur exits, right, sells his company, doesn't have to be a unicorn, could be a million dollars or a 10 million or a hundred million. Anyway, that entrepreneur uh, then has a sort of an obligation, let's hope, to the community to give back, right? And that could be mentorship, that could be investing in other companies, that could be starting a new company. So we see this, all variations of this formula of this virtuous cycle where someone starts a company, uh, exits, invests in other companies, and starts one, uh, starts another one again. And then, you know, they pay taxes on that money too, right? When they exit the company, that helps the government supply additional sort of programs that support the ecosystem. Or more and more these days, it's really the government needs to provide a great quality of life. As we'll talk about later, when you could work anywhere, People are going to live where there's a great quality of life, and that's become front and center going forward. I hope that gives you a sense for it. Happy to follow up with any questions you have. Yeah, no, I think that it really paints the picture, right? And that's that's the challenging part of the ecosystems right? or any community as a whole, because your first hardest part, right, is getting a good amount of each stakeholder, right? So that you have that balance of relationships, insights, and those that are in the beginning of their journey, right? And those that are in the middle and more towards the end so that that whole life cycle can, you know, pollinate one another, if you will. Um, so I'm curious through your experiences, James, right, with obviously all the communities that we've discussed that you've taken part in creating, what is, you know, one of the more challenging stakeholders to get involved into that process, right? Because I can imagine, obviously, entrepreneurs, right? When we first get started, we're looking for anyone and, you know, anything and any dollar, right? So they're always a little bit more proactive when it comes to the other, you know, stakeholders like investors, the institutions, governments, nonprofits, or corporations. 
which one of those, you know, did you see was a challenge to get them in when you were working at some of the other communities? And, and do you still see that being a challenge today or has things shifted a bit? Well, I think, I guess it depends, right? Well, investors are always looking for the next unicorn, right? So getting them involved, depending on who they are and what le what level of you know uh, investment they make will depend on their engagement. If they're a later stage company, only invest 10 million bucks in larger companies, they're not gonna be really that concerned about the, the younger, uh, smaller startups, right? So that's, that's, an, that's an interesting dilemma but it's also been fixed a little bit because more investors have flowed into the New York, New Jersey, Philadelphia area uh, over the past 10 years. So it was formerly Silicon Valley, which had 80% of all VC money. And now it's getting split uh, much more, well, let's say much more equitably. Um, and that that's a great thing. So investors, that's kind of been solved. Investors are, there's so much money out there right now and there's investors everywhere. And of course with Zoom, they can be anywhere. So that's one part that was, I guess, tricky. Um, government has always been challenging, right? They're short-term focus, unfortunately. And historically, I don't want to name names, but it goes up and down with the administration, right? Whether it's local, whether it's state or federal, right? They're, they like to talk. Everyone likes to talk about supporting it, but the actual policies vary, right? But I think over time, most governments are starting to get it that it's important to support this entrepreneurship ecosystem. Um, and so, so that, that's an interesting uh, dilemma um, or reality, I should say. Nonprofits have been consistent all the way through. I should say um, higher ed has come so far. When I started at Fairleigh Dickinson, we were one of only a couple dozen entrepreneurship centers. Now there are three or 4,000 across the country. So every college has an entrepreneurship center, essentially. And that's a real great thing, right? Because you have so many more potential entrepreneurs who can get educated and could um, start their own business or do a side hustle or a freelance gig, right? So, so that's really a great development. Uh, so historically, universities have been sort of difficult bureaucracies uh, for entrepreneurs to navigate. Uh, and for the community to navigate uh, if they wanted to be entrepreneurial with the university. Universities have gotten better. They're still bubbling bureaucracies in general. Um, so that that's a, a challenge of the ecosystem. So I think I gave you a few there. I hope that gives you a sense for um, some of the challenges and some of the changes over time. Definitely. No, it certainly has. And I can imagine, you know, how, like you said, I think schools is a great example it's it's funny now you know a lot of schools all have at least a very strong business program now or an entrepreneurship program and they're starting to make sure you know some level of business mindset right and the basics of business is underlined in most of their curriculum if not all of them whether you're in an entrepreneurial track or not right which i think is extremely beneficial for you know all the stakeholders that are involved because no matter where that talent goes if it's the nonprofit sector right for profit a major corporation or he's an innovator you know, he's coming with all those same principles and mindset that they also use to leverage their organizations. Um, and Brandon, I know, obviously, you and I are in a lot of groups. So I'm just curious, you know, how have you seen some of the shift? I know we're in, you know, Vistage and, and some manufacturing groups and other startup communities as well, where, you know, we like to play a mentor and advisory role and, and help get the younger stages further and the bigger ones, you know, growing faster. Right. So um, I'm curious, where have you kind of seen a shift in the last, you know, 
five years ago, just based up today, you know, without COVID being the impact, how have you seen the communities you're in change? I see. Well, first, what I'm hearing from James is I kind of um, he talks about ecosystems and I kind of define that as, as social capital. And I think that ties perfectly into the ecosystems as well. So, um, you know, it, it's it's so much about relationships today. And I'm not talking about like um, like like the old time sales type relationships and stuff like that. But with funding, it's 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 about the warm handoff. It's about, um, hey, you ought to talk to this person. It's about the subtle suggestions and the connections um, of good people that I know connecting them with you, Brian, or you connecting them with, with, with me, Brian, or, or me connecting them with James and James connecting them with me. That's the social capital. That's the ecosystem of success today that James is talking about. And at least that's, that, that's, that's what I'm hearing from it. And it's, you know, even from six months ago, you know, I'm sending out some emails today and, and different stuff like that. They're coming back. They're getting bounced. Like nothing is the same. Everything, people are gone. My, my best connection in, inside of a business is no longer there. There's 10 new people, right? So I need to go, I need to sell wider. I need to sell deeper. I need to sell stronger, right? So what I did five years ago isn't working today. What I need to have is that ecosystem that James is talking about. Again, I'm going back to that ecosystem, that social capital of, you know, Who's who's whose kids do I know of um, of parents in my local neighborhood that 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 may have a mother or father that work in education? I need somebody in education, so they might want to go into education, right? Again, I'm talking I'm talking about using my local community to to harvest new people for for business opportunities, you know. So. Um, you know, everything's up in the air, man. It's, if 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 I continue to do business like I was five years ago, I, I wouldn't be sitting here today um, talking to you. You know, th this is building social capital. We're putting ourselves out there. We don't need to be here. We can be watching Netflix. We can be watching anything. We can be d d doing anything we can. The, the fact is the three of us put a priority to this because we find value in communication. So um really glad to have james i'm i'm kind of like listening intently as i always do but i'm really honing in because james is kind of giving us a behind the scenes look at how things actually run and i usually like look at the front door and say oh that door's so pretty but i never actually open up the door and go in so tonight's kind of giving us a behind the scenes look into how these entrepreneurship pro um how these programs actually run and um and how things actually work and i think we're gonna get into how we can get in front of these people so i'll be quiet and and we can keep on boogieing well you know uh you bring up a good a really good point uh brandon about sort of the velocity of change right of people moving jobs right wow. and 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 just struggling to not only find the right person to sell to or to service in a company or the right people to to, to hire who you can retain for a decent amount of time um so there's a, so it's a, I don't want to digress too much, but I think it's uh, really important to figure out a solution because people are in a dilemma here, connecting with people who are moving on, right? Or who's so busy. And I think it's just a little tip here. Everyone is, 
everyone is on LinkedIn, right? So engagement, showing love on LinkedIn is really important because regardless of whether they're in their job now or somewhere else, if you show them love on LinkedIn, right? And interact, that will benefit you or your company or your salespeople down the road, right? The other thing that's really um, evident, we can we'll mention this later, is that everyone is working on a side hustle or a passion project, right? This pandemic has sort of accelerated that reality. So people don't want to wait, right? Um, so if you or I or Brian could take advantage of that and, and again, show interest in their side hustles, whatever they are, if you can find out what they are, or their passions, that will build strong relationships. And at the end of the day, as you know, relationships are, are everything. Uh, and so that's sort of a, um, a realization that came to me this week, actually, um, because uh, of the reality of, of the dilemma we're all in, because everyone is moving, um, you know, uh, super busy, distracted, but also doing a side, side project. So the only way to sort of combat that or solve for it is to do some of the things I just mentioned. Maybe that in some, makes sense. In, in, in some cases, just so everybody knows, you need to, to pay to get involved. And that is okay. It is investing in yourself. If there, if there is a group, if there's an, or if there's some type of organization, um, that's going to provide you with FaceTime, do it. I mean, there's, you know, it's, again, it's an investment in your, in yourself. I know there's big organizations like SCORE, you know, I did a lot of mentoring for SCORE, which, which we're all very, um, familiar with. Um, but, um, other opportunities come about and it's the same thing in business too. So if I know that my main, my main prospect that I'm going after sits courtside of the Sixers, I'm from Philadelphia. So if they sit courtside of the Sixers, I may have to buy courtside tickets too. So that I can bump into him or her at the Cadillac club at halftime. That's an investment in myself to get FaceTime. You know, don't be afraid to um, invest time and money into your primary hustle, your side hustle, whatever it is to get to, to get time, just hang around. This is the only thing that I would say is you get in touch with somebody like James that that's trusted, that's, that's influential, that's authoritative. And you ask him, what is the best thing to do? If you just go on and Google, that's probably not the best idea because you're going to get a bunch of ads and everything else. This is why we do this show to put you in touch with people all over the country that are more than willing to provide you with a path, a direction, a suggestion on where you want to want to go. But you have to reach out, right? You have to reach out. If you don't reach out, you're never going to get it, you know, so. Definitely. No, I love that. I think, you know, both points that you guys made around the social capital and how things are changing with side hustles. I think, you know, a way that I like to try to change it and describe it a little bit is it seems like the whole world's changed from this transactional environment right where i get something from you because you need it then i do this i go work for that company just so i can pay my mortgage and retire at this age right like these transactional predefined paths and now it seems like a lot more things even if people are looking inward at themselves right we're leading much more with empathy and you can't really have expectations you have to take the time to get to know people 
right? Foster those connections, understand what's really and truly important to them before you can even take your shot, right? The days of just blasting 10,000 emails and getting 100 replies are over because people don't value that transactional level anymore. Um, would you agree with that, James? Do you see that that's the direction that it's it's going more and more? 100%. And I just want to, you know, build on what Brandon said about trusted advisors or trusted people. You know, uh, it's so much harder to do. You can't do cold calls anymore. You can't even call anyone anymore, right? That's the reality. So you need a referral. I mean, you can go through LinkedIn, right? But if you, you know, the best thing is to, to get a referral or an intro into someone. That might be the only way to get into, you know, some companies and, and, and the best opportunities. And so, you know, folks like you guys um, and folks like me, you know, serve a really uh, even more important purpose um, as we live in this, um, this super fast paced, super distracted, you know, Zoom reality, right? They, the, the prospect of bumping into people at events is lower now, right? More, more people are not going out to events. Yeah. More people can try to do substitute events online and they would be smart to do that, right? Because if you can get good at networking online, you know, that is, you know, that's cool. The next decade. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Awesome. Yeah. No, and I think it's, you know, before we keep, I know we're diving right into the tech and I'm excited to dive into how things are changing, but we'll give the, you know, the audience a little bit of an example of that. I think most of the people are familiar with, right? So, and James, I think you mentioned it earlier, right? Silicon Valley, uh, it's no secret uh, that it was one of the first, right? If not the first best innovation ecosystem that existed in the early days of the technology boom, right? Um, and for a lot of people that don't know, right? Silicon Valley is obviously out in California, uh, a little south of San Fran. And what had happened at the time is a lot of the major companies were already out there, right? Google, Yahoo, Apple, et cetera, and maybe Napster at the time and some of the old school, bigger companies. Um, and then from there, right? What, how that whole community formed, at least to my understanding, James, right, was a lot of those corporations obviously brought all their employees there. Um, then after that, any employees that were outside of Silicon Valley, but in California, in the surrounding area, right, they would bus all those employees uh, into that area every day. And then they built, you know, what could pretty much be um, compared to college campuses, you know, nowadays, right, built the sense of your non-traditional corporation where people wanted to stay there, right? They wanted to foster relationships and always be innovating. Um, so I'm curious, you know, as we've dove into what an ecosystem is, right? Obviously Silicon Valley had all the components that you had mentioned. Um, so I'm curious to get your thoughts on, you know, what you think Silicon Valley did really well and, and elements of what they've done that have obviously translated themselves into other communities and, and how things are done. and you know, some things that they didn't do that well that are an opportunity as we move more into, you know, the digital age of communities and, and just new areas of groups. Right. Well, let me go back way back into history before uh, the period that you mentioned. I mean, um, Silicon Valley started in the 50s, really, right, with when William Shockley, you know, an engineer from Bell Labs from New Jersey, left over some disagreement uh, about the transistor and moved back to California and then decided to start a company called, you know, Shockley, uh, you know, Semiconductors, right? And then that led into Fairfield uh, Semiconductors, which led into folks starting Intel. Uh, 
right? So, I mean, I don't want to get into the deep the details, um, but that's how it really started. So it's really a transplant from here, um, from New Jersey and from Bell Labs. And, you know, those uh, inventions of the transistors and, and, and silicon uh, chips, uh, plus, plus they, you know, the engagement with Stanford University, right? I mentioned higher ed, right? They're really open to this and really supportive. Uh, and of course, the the growth of venture capital, right? First, Sand Hill Road, right? All these venture VC companies uh, really helped, uh, you know, the Silicon Valley area. And then it just became a you know, laid back feeling of California, right? The, you know, the 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 sort of culture, uh, importantly, of giving back, right? Uh, and of it's okay to fail, right? Um, and those people start new companies and it's sort of a badge of honor, right? So that type of culture. Um, so it's those things, uh, again, entrepreneurs, right? Uh, and then you had the big corporates, right? You had HP at the time, you had Apple, others like that, that would engage, right? And uh, of course, uh, the government was supportive uh, as well. And, and universities, trusted advisors, as I said, nonprofits, nonprofits as well. So that's how it sort of, it just built and built and built. And it got so much momentum, really first mover advantage, you know, and then uh, the snowball effect of all these unicorns, right? Just helped go back into the, uh, into this ecosystem, which uh, is the envy of the world, right? Um, now that's changing, right? I mean, it's still the envy of the world, but there's so many other options these days when people have tried to copy different aspects of Silicon Valley. Um, and sort of make it their own wherever they are around the world. And many regions and many hubs have been very successful uh, and have made great headway in that effort. And so um, that's where we are today. But uh, it's been a 50-year journey to get um, you know, Silicon Valley to where it is now. Definitely. No, and I think that's a you know perfect element of obviously where Silicon Valley's done everything right. And now, like you said, right, James, at least a lot of the other areas that I've seen growing, right? Miami is a, a very large booming technology center trying to attract a lot of talent down there. Um, Texas is very similar, right, between Houston, Austin, and Dallas. I mean, they all have great initiatives around bringing entrepreneurs down there and allowing them to travel those three cities, you know, in a pretty affordable life to continue to build relationships and grow their business. Um, and obviously, like we were alluding to earlier, it's no secret that the progression of technology certainly helps right with the cohesion of these communities helping people connect digitally but also fostering those relationships to make them meet you know in person where they know uh connection can be much deeper um so i'm curious of course we've been talking around the great resignation right how many people are leaving their jobs how many people have side hustles and then on top of all that we have the progression of how much technology has grown right and cloud technology has enabled us to create new experiences in a fraction of the time it would have taken us, you know, 10 years ago, whether it's new platforms or communities or products, right? Um, but it's also had some downsides, right, of where, yes, we can connect easier, but we're kind of taking the, you know, that soft touch and the human connection that comes into all those interpersonal connections. So to kind of start us off on where things are going before we dive too much on the stakeholders, James, I'm just curious what you're seeing is, you know, the biggest shift or the biggest impact for communities when it comes to, you know, remote work itself and, and where technology has gone. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, 
it's really changed the game for everyone from entrepreneurs to employers to uh, talent, right? And I, and I think, you know, that's the, that's going to be the real challenge and opportunity, right? The opportunity is, you know, you can find talent anywhere, right? And it might not be as expensive. Um, the, uh, the challenge is, of course, that um, you have to pay more sometimes, right? And to retain those employees, particularly online, uh, you have to treat them really well, right? And that means you have to become a better manager, right? And be more empathetic and be more flexible and, and, and try to build a culture online, which is, is challenging uh, to say the least. So those are just some of the, you know, issues around remote work, um, you know, just to kick off this conversation. Um, yeah. Happy to answer follow-up questions. No, certainly. And I think like you're saying, I think it's, a, it's kind of a, like a myth or a common, you know, misnomer of the more digital we go, the less, you know, connected or interpersonal you need to be, right? It's almost, since we're digital, we've lost our other five senses, you know, outside of being able to smell and talk, we've lost the other three that, that all do come into human connectivity and interactions, right? And now you need to be a very clear communicator, right? Or you'll send, you're trying to send texts all day in Skype chats or Slack channels, and you're sending people in circles, um, or you're not, you know, really taking the time to get to know your new employees, you're just onboarding them and putting them into a chat. So I think, you know, this kind of leads in a little bit to how it's impacting entrepreneurs, you know, specifically, right, James. And um, with those challenges, uh, I'm just curious from your end, where do you think, you know, let's say the entrepreneur of 10 years ago that was starting the company versus the entrepreneur of today, what are some of the new skills that they need to develop, you know, to be successful in this new digital age and, and digital communities and workforces? Sure. So things in, in many ways, uh, Brian, uh, things are a lot easier for entrepreneurs and a lot cheaper, right? You could, you know, software as a service, you can, you can get up and running and have a $10 million business in a week, you know, just because you can, you know, latch onto Amazon, AWS or other services uh, very easily, right? So, of course, and then, um, so that's one thing. The, the cost has been reduced by a factor of 100. It's incredible and so exciting. Right, um, talent, right? Uh, 10 years ago, you'd probably have a, maybe one of 10 people in your company might be offsite or two, right? Now it's probably nine out of nine, eight, out of nine, eight or nine, they're gonna be remote, right? So that's, that's a reality. Now that's good because you can pull talent from anywhere, right? But you have to get really good at assessing, assessing talent. Right. Uh, communicating. Right. I mean, that's really important. You got to pitch someone to get them to come onto your company. You have to be really good, particularly online, um, uh, to, to really convey that. Right. You're, especially when you're not going to be in person, um, you have to get really thoughtful about it and try to sort of build that trust. Right. That's really, really important. And that takes practice and uh, education to uh, get to that point. And that's before you even run, just running the company is a whole nother exercise and challenge, right? So, so getting the talent, retaining them and managing, right? Managing has to be, or all these channels you just mentioned, it's so overwhelming, right? If you burn out your employees, 
you're in trouble, right? Definitely. No, <laughs> so that... there's that balance of, you know, these days they're figuring out maybe one or two days a week in person, or maybe it's one or two days a month in person just to try to build the culture. That's the most important thing, to try to keep people, to, keep people together, you know, or keep people on task, on mission. So that's the, so basically digital soft skills are going to be the most important skills, uh, frankly, going forward. Definitely. No, and I, I couldn't agree more. Obviously, you know, for our team, we're around, you know, 70, 30 uh, remote and in-person, right, and on-site. Uh, and, and it has been a challenge the early days of COVID. You know, communications channels change. You don't have the way to store documents. All those soft communication workflows you had, you know, get shattered when everything needs to be standardized because no one's there just to turn across the desk and ask the guy for a file. Right. Um, and I'm curious, uh, Brandon, on your side, right, have things changed for you a bit? You know, obviously, we say since the pandemic started, but we're about you know, almost two years in now. So obviously, it's, it's been a long time for that shift to take place. Has, has a lot changed with your talent, you know, on your side, especially around the services you provide? Oh, man, it's it's constantly changing. I wake up this morning. It's it's changed. There is so much competition out there currently for for top-notch talent if you are talented if you can work like a machine if you do not need to be babysat if you just go full in in any direction in any career in any market segment they will find a spot for you and you will reap the rewards of making money you may not make a lot of money in your first job because it's kind of like the the, the actual testing ground you're gonna you're gonna test your what you're you're gonna test what you know there's a lot of people that are book smart that have studied it but haven't put the hands on the computer you know in our world and actually done the work and what it says in the book always isn't the way that it is you constantly james alluded to this before it's okay to fail fail do it test it you know just like as when as as soon as we're done with this call i'm gonna spend a half hour learning more about what james was talking about right the ego says new eternal because i'm gonna dig in because i want to get better at it i'm not gonna drop this call and then just just roll like take take a little seed and just you know, water that thing. And that, and that means constantly learning, getting around people. Winners hang out with winners, right? Losers don't hang out with winners because it breaks the congruency. So hang out with winners, man. Get around people that are doing what you want to do. If it's HVAC, if it's plumbing, hang around plumbers, hang around HVAC. It doesn't matter. Whatever it is, just get around people that are doing what you want to do and that have had some success. Not somebody selling you an idea of what, of of success but are actually you know walking it and getting their hands dirty in it and everything else like that you'll find your way man it's it's not going to be easy um but I, i'll just say this one last thing too is that in terms of competition i deal with a lot a lot of big 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 um corporate companies and their it divisions are not within the us right 70 or 80 percent i think we're going to touch on immigrants here shortly too hopefully we, get, we we can still touch into that but a lot of the competition today is not your normal next door neighbor here that you grew up with in school 
you have competition from around the world. And this ecosystem, this online ecosystem has just exploded, exploded growth. So if you think you're only competing against our little nugget here in, in the United States, which we are a very small portion, right? You're competing against the whole world. So you have to be on your game 24-7. You have to be totally bought into what you believe in. Definitely. No, I love that, Brand. I think you made, you know, a really significant point speaking about the talent, right? I mean, a lot of people can come out of college with great skills. Obviously, if you're a software engineer, you know, you need to be able to code at some level, right? If you're a sales guy, you need to understand the basic sales process, buyer's journey. There's all those foundational aspects that you get from school, right? But I don't know about you guys, but for us, one of the biggest things that we've been looking at, you know, how do people learn after college, right? So when they're working for us, are they going to be self-motivated? Are they going to be self-reliant, right? We don't expect to know the answer to every question, but are you going to turn to a group chat, right? And ask us a very simple question right away, or will you try to Google it first, right? And try to solve that problem for yourself. And I think an interesting part around both, you know, the entrepreneurs hiring talent, right? Corporations hiring talent. At the end of the day, they're going to be looking for how do they these people fit in? And as more and more information becomes available on the internet, right, there's pretty much a YouTube video for everything at this point. Then you have Udemy's, which are like online colleges for any type of specialty skill you'd like to learn, right? I think a lot of corporations are going to be focusing on how to provide their employees with those opportunities, but ensuring that they're also hiring people that would take advantage of them and focus on like what I like to call open source education or community education versus corporation education where you have formal trainings, right? Webinars and things like that internally. At least that's been a major emphasis for us. Uh, and I think like you said, Brandon, it's a huge identifier in a way that somebody could stand out in the early days of their position, right? Finding the nuances within their process, asking themselves strong questions, but before they go to somebody else for an answer, taking the time to see if they can solve it and then go to somebody with that information and work together more collaboratively. Um, just curious, James, if, if you think you're seeing the same as well, especially with, you know, all the different stakeholders that you work with. No, absolutely. You're right on target there. I mean, um, it's really up to the the employee and they, they can, uh, I mean, it's up to the employee that has to be motivated, right? The, the, the problem is the company can provide all these options. If the, if the employee is not motivated, you know, that's the problem. And, and so trying to keep them motivated and keep them lifelong learner, you know, make them lifelong learners or want to keep learning, whether it's at their own pace, right? With the, with the, uh, you know, the resources of the company, that's great, or they can get them elsewhere. Uh, but they really have to be, um, you have to nurture that motivation, right? That, that's really important and, and try to get them into that um, sort of that, uh, that method, right? Or that rhythm of always learning and always um, you know, trying to achieve more and, and learn more and help the company, help your colleagues help the company. Um, so I think it's tricky. I think it's tricky. You know, it has to come from both sides, but getting the yep. buy-in is, is, um, is, is the trick. So James, I have, a, yeah. I have a quick question for you is, is, and I know there's no solid answer for this, but just in your experience. So here's, here's a real life circumstance. A 22 year old graduates with excellent grades from from uh, Temple University, and um, 
They get a job with KPMG. It's 100% remote. Has a company built like onboard this employee, build culture, build, you know, all that type of stuff. And then how does a, and I'm just asking these kind of not as a deep question and stuff like that, but it's just something for everybody to think about, right? Because we, we most likely all have kids or are going to have kids or whatever, you know, or, or have a cousin, aunts, uncles that has kids. How, how does one 22-year-old uh, that works for KPMG make a name for themselves? All online. Like, how, so is business culture is the issue for the company, right? It's tough to do. And then how does one make a name for themselves when they're going? It's difficult. And I'm not, I'm not really posing these questions to you. I'm just kind of, kind of wanted to throw, throw these thoughts out for people to think about is that it's not easy. And this is when the ecosystem, first of all, to, to, to get a job, you're probably going to need an ecosystem, which James has been mentioning. <laughs> you're, pro you're probably going to need somebody to say, hey, I know this, my aunts, uncles, brothers, dogs, nephew, whatever. He's, he, he or she is a great person. Just take a look at him. You know, it happens all the time. It's a warm handoff in HR departments. You know, yes, you go through the ATS system. Yes, you, 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 you do resumes. Yes, but it just gives you that inside influence. Has a parent worked there? Has a brother? Has a sister? It's the same way that colleges do some of the entries, you know? So um, it's difficult. But James, if you could say, like, is there anything that a company can do just from your knowledge and working in this industry for years and years and years to help build business culture? I mean, it has, it has to be almost impossible to do online. I don't know. Yeah, no, it's it's a huge challenge. I feel sorry for any of these kids who are just going uh, remote first, right? And that's yeah. the reality. It's just, we already have our networks, right? We've already been in person and, and developed them, right? We're, we're at an advantage for these young people. Uh, while they do have soft digital soft skills or should have, they need to be nurtured. They need to be motivated to build those networks online. There may be a virtual coffee break here and there, but they need to sort of work twice as hard. Maybe not twice as hard because everything's virtual. Um, <laughs> but imagine if they were in person, they'd have to get an appointment. They'd have to walk over there. They'd have to, you know. And and there was already, before the pandemic, there was already an issue with young people not having interpersonal skills, right? They're all in their own digital cocoons most of their lives, whether it's gaming or whatever. They don't know how to uh, conduct themselves in public, in, in networking or interacting. They're already super awkward. And now this is sort of, uh, you know, has held them back as well. So for companies, you know, you have to force people to come, you know, whether it's one day a week or one day a month uh, and just sort of, you know, get them up to speed try to um, have them meet as many people as possible, you know, or just do creative things as well. There's, there's different formulas that people are testing now. Um, but that's, it's incumbent on both, right? The company needs to make an effort. But again, without the motivation from the, the professional new entry, that uh, then nothing's, you know, nothing's going to be as productive, right? But it's also important for retention, right? They want to be happy. They want to meet, you know, their social network within their company. That's really important. I mean, a lot of, historically, a lot of people have met their mates at companies, right? That, that percentage is gone down to maybe, it's gonna go down to zero or, or maybe 5% or, or less than 5%. So that's that's weird too. And that, that's gonna be problem. That's gonna be, well, it's problematic, I think. And for human, for us humans, I think it's a challenge. You know, we, we are social beings and we, need, we should be amongst one another. 
being there full time is probably never going to happen again. Uh, the only way to do it is to sort of think uh, thoughtfully and creatively and to try to make up for that loss of engagement, you know, and just to really do really um, amazing types of in-person events uh, and engagements um, to make up for it. Yeah. And I've seen some companies use LMS. So that's short for learning management systems and gamification. And if I'm right, I think Brian's company can actually do this. Do this. this is in, in no means a shameless plug for Brian, but it is a perfect opportunity. The the gamification. So I, I have seen some companies just in just in in uh, listening to what you're saying, James, is, is it kind of rung a couple bells. And that's why I wanted to bring that question up is they're they're making people take classes just on what they believe in efficacy um diversity and inclusion like all, all these different things so i don't know if it's subliminal or purpose everything on, on purpose i'd imagine in a big company but uh you know so there there's a lot of different ways to do it and uh i know brian was working on one project with the gamification project in the education market which was really really cool um but uh but anyway keep going Brian. yeah yeah, no, I mean, I think it's, you know, what we all touched on, that the talent's highly accessible, right? But they'll, they'll need to be motivated, just like any relationship, right? If only one person's doing all the talking or committing to all the experiences or taking responsibility, then it won't be successful at the end. Um, and then just touching on retention a little bit, because I think we just started talking there, right? I think that's, that's a really big challenge for a lot of companies, right? Of course, it depends on the type of labor that you're trying to hire, right? So for technology companies, our largest challenge with retention is ensuring that the engineers are actually truly enjoying the project that they're working on, right? Outside of entry-level engineers, thousands of them are extremely, extremely bright, right? All capable of developing the same project that you might be offering to them. But now they're starting to choose things that just interest them, right? They don't want to be on a project at Deloitte for a Fortune 100 company for seven years by just doing one small portion of that project every day, right? They might want to go work for a startup, learn a whole ton of new skills, start using new tools and things that aren't, you know, um, as traditional to implement in a, in a traditional business or a very successful one. Um, so I think that's just a, a good thing to touch on. I like that you mentioned the LMSs, Brandon, you know, a lot of our clients are in the educational space, um, you know, within the vendor space, they're wholesalers or they're just manufacturers, right? And for manufacturing companies, I mean, for the majority of them, at least in the tri-state area, over 50% of their workers right now are temporary workers, right? So the, the main challenge that they're facing is one, how do we upskill them, right? And train them fast enough so that they actually know what to do in a short period of time. And then two, how do you retain them, right? Because certain jobs, those skills can be easily transferable. So just focusing on the retention spark, I know culture is certainly an aspect of that, right? If we're close to those around us and feel involved, we'll be less likely to leave. Um, but I'll pose the question to both of you, whoever wants to go first, what do you think are, you know, more of the aspects that can lead to more retention outside of just, you know, trying to meet them in person or, you know, see what their skills are. How do you think we try to drive more retention now where there are so many digital communications? Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's about flexibility, right? I mean, you, know, you have to understand their needs, their personal needs, each and every one of them, right? They may have, they may be taking care of their kids or uh, parents, um, so they need flexibility and just empathizing with them is the sort of 
is a differential advantage, right? If you can do that, as opposed to, you know, another prospective employer, right? Or another opportunity that they may be considering, right? If you can, um, that's harder to replicate if you build something special, right? It's not easy. It's totally not easy. Uh, and LMS can help, right? If they're continuing to learn. But at the end of the day, you know, they want to spend more time with their family. They want to do something amazing. Those are hard things to, you know, sometimes accomplish when they're just doing a bite-sized piece of a project or something that's really boring. It's really hard. And maybe, you know, one of the solutions to that is to, you know, have them pay them to do, pay them for their time to do a volunteer project, right? Or pro bono project or get involved with a, another association or nonprofit, right? Try to, you know, uh, try to build out that for them. You know, give them that opportunity, give them the nudge, uh, recommend them for an advisory board, right? Here, you're really thinking about them, right? You really care about them. You care about, you know, them being well-rounded, right? And getting out of their bubble or their cubicle, Definitely. you know, or their computer screen. And that could go a long way to uh, keeping them and making them more productive. And, you know, most importantly, having them get their friends to join down the road. Definitely. No, I, I love that. I think it is such a crucial part, right? Showing them that you know more about them than the responsibilities you hired them to do, right? And I think, again, kind of going from where the world used to just be very transactional, right? You could have a thousand employees in a building, you know, 30 of them all have the same job titles and have never even spoken to each other, even though they're all there, right? And the managers wouldn't care about your personal life if you weren't in your chair by nine, right? They'd ask you why you're late. Just all these different transactionary type of, you know, behavioral, right, of, of how humans were communicating. And then, yes, you'd make your friends at work, right, and hang out with them. But that's the same as any other, you know, ecosystem that you move into. You don't kind of push yourselves to learn more and, and gain different opinions. So it's I think we covered a lot from, you know, the talent side of corporations. Now, obviously, right, James, like we were talking about earlier, the other kind of role that corporations play in these ecosystems, right, is they they do play a major role in funding or fostering innovation, right, whether they're investing that internally and have an R&D department, right, like you said, with maybe volunteer projects or things that they're trying to solve specific challenges, or they're taking that money and they're buying smaller startups or reinvesting into communities where they could see, right, benefits for them in the future. So, I'm assuming, you know, obviously a lot of that investment has changed from invest if you're a California company, right? And the companies in Silicon Valley that are right nearby to now you're looking regionally, you know, nationally and maybe globally. Um, so is that really where you see the shift of how companies are trying to invest into these ecosystems or are they still staying very close to, you know, what is still within reach physically? Yeah, it's to be determined, right? It's, it's a little early. Um, I think they're taking advantage of being able to secure talent anywhere, right? But um, they also have, you know, some uh, engagement due to incentives, right? Government incentives to stay and support their community. They should have a stakeholder, you know, do it out of the goodness of their hearts, frankly. Um, but at the end of the day, um, the bean counters will say, what's the best thing to do? What is the best thing to relocate? Is it the best thing to just close up the office, right, and be virtual? I mean, th these are impactful times 
And a lot of communities are going to be in pain because of this reality. And that really stinks. But it's a reality that, um, you know, the, the ecosystems across the country and across the world have to recognize that um, the same sort of rules don't apply or the same assumptions certainly don't apply. Yeah, uh, Brian, just real quick, um, in terms of investments, you know, James has alluded to this with, with the ecosystem. If I'm on the West Coast and James is on the East Coast and I know James and, and he's I've tr I've I've uh, trusted him for years, he, he's never brought me a bad apple. And uh, James called me up and said, hey, Brandon, you want to look at this company? I would look at it. Right. And when I peel back deals, big deals for big companies, um, when I peel back, how did that business come in? We can go and go to a Google ad or something else like that is very, very rare. What it comes down to is when we peel back layer one and layer two, then layer three, it is somebody gave somebody else the social influence or, or like, Hey, why don't you, I, I talked about this earlier. Why don't you talk to James? Why don't you talk to Brian? You know, and that opens up the conversation to huge deals. <laughs> That's why we're talking about ecosystem tonight, you know? Um, and then I'll, I'll go back to that one question real quick too, Brian. I know we're running uh, short on time here, but just in terms of what employees want with, with where they're, I, and James said the same thing, freedom, right? They want the freedom. So if I'm a business owner or, or, or if I'm a fortune 500 company and I work in the uh, IT department or I, or I run the IT department, have a entrepreneur day on how you think you can improve the processes in the office. And you'll see what happens is that somebody's going to come with a bright idea. Like, Hey, where did you, I, I think we can do it this way. Hey, wh where, where did you learn that? Where, what, why do you say that? And the person is going to say, because I've already built it. And you're going to have your golden gem right, right there, you know? So give people the opportunity to present what they're, what they're doing. It used to be in IT departments where you would be a level one tech and you would answer the phone and do password resets and stuff like that. And printer driver stuff all day long. That was all you knew. Could you imagine doing that today? Today, you need to turn the computer on. You need to plug it in. You need to restore it. You need to go here. You need to go there. You need to do everything. So give people the freedom. And then the social good, which James mentioned too, give people the opportunity to, to commute, to, to give back to their local community. Right. Hey, you want to go paint fences? You want to go pick up trash on the side of the street? You you want to you you want to have a um, high school student come in here? Uh, with, well, it used to be come in there, right? You want you want to have a you is there is there something that you want to do with a with with a college student? Maybe a Zoom mentoring session or something. You know, uh, all, all types of stuff like that. So it's freedom, social good, and um, that's kind of where I'm at with that stuff. Perfect. No, I I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think. Obviously, you know, the further away that we move apart, meaning out from physical locations, right, the harder and deeper we have to fight to come together, which is just ironic, um, obviously within it. Uh, but it is where the world is going. Right. And, and yes, there's no friction to connect, but there is friction to build valuable connections. I think a lot more than there ever was, because unfortunately, you know, James, maybe seven years ago on LinkedIn, I could reach out. And I'd be one of five, ten people in his in mailbox right now i'm probably one of 250 to 500 on a daily basis so even if you are that right person but you're trying to get through all the other noise it can it can be a lot more difficult now
right? And um, I think we covered a lot of how the ecosystems are shifting. James, obviously offline, we talked a little bit around how talent is shifting, right? And of course you can hire globally, right? It's no secret. A lot of entrepreneurs use tools like Upwork, right? Fiverr um, and, and some of these platforms that help aggregate and, and make sure you can find the right person for this skill that you might not be know exactly what you need, right? From the individual that you're hiring. Um, but I think another you know proponent of that is looking at the larger companies, you know, those that are still directly hiring employees, you know, they're not so much looking for a contractor or consultant, uh, which is most often on those platforms. Um, and, you know, how a lot of the role in the government plays, right, uh, around the immigration side of things and, you know, how do we attract a lot of talent here, right? Because there are a lot of great stories of companies that, you know, the founders were in other countries, then they, they come to, you know, the U.S. for college, right, to get their master's. Um, then they try to stay and get funding and we send them home and they go build, you know, the, the next Amazon, right? There's a handful of those stories, uh, especially, you know, within India uh, and the Asian Pacific countries overall, right? Because that is a major group of students uh, that value American education. Um, so, James, when it comes to, you know, the immigration and, and how we attract, you know, skilled workers, specialty workers, not, you know, normal immigration policy, um, I'm just curious, you know, what role do you see the government playing in that? And and do you feel like we need to make a shift, you know, to really be bringing in more skilled and specialized workers? Absolutely. Uh, we can, cannot get enough, especially right now. Um, and this is um, this is the new challenge for us, frankly. And now there was some good news, actually, as of today about the number of H-1B visas. Um, the delays are, are down and, and they're accepting more, more quickly. So that that's really that's really good. Um, but uh, we have a talent shortage. We already know that immigrants are uh, generally more entrepreneurial and more innovative. Uh, they make the people around them smarter. I mean, um, and, and the problem is now they have other options. So uh, this country has been based on, you know, immigration and smart immigrants and of course tech, right? The, the resurgence of, of tech to being so powerful and so successful is largely due to uh, entrepreneurs from other countries and the talent from other countries. So it's um, it's a real issue, a real challenge, because because now, as I said, they have other options. They can go to school here, they can go to school in their regions and, and stay in their regions and build their companies. Um, so this is um, increasingly, uh, we can't do enough to get as many immigrants here as possible. We have a labor shortage. <laughs> not only in tech, but everywhere. It's, um, it's a crisis uh, that we've sort of created and we just have to do more to open up the doors and that will make this country stronger. And, you know, I was just researching a little bit about Silicon Valley and, uh, you know, the two folks who created the transistor, which is the basis of all things, right? There's 16 trillion, 16 trillion, whatever it is, it was transistors. They run everything on this planet related to automation, mechanization, mechanization or um, computer, computing. There, it, it was an Egyptian immigrant and a South Korean immigrant that made the transition. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. And I, you know, I, I've sort of been in this sphere. I know a lot about you know tech history, but I didn't realize, I didn't know that. And I, I felt ashamed that I didn't know that, but it's just, you know, these unknown immigrants yeah, the basis of uh, the technological present and future. 
um, because they invented something 50 years ago or 60 years ago. So anyway, uh, it's hard to, you cannot belabor this point enough. You can also look to the vaccines. Again, in my TED talk, I mentioned this, that you know, immigrants were a really important part of getting those vaccines and the treatments created so quickly and have helped save millions of lives, you know? So um, it is a dilemma and uh, the government, and not only the government, I should say businesses and we the people, right? Need to embrace and cherish immigrants uh, at every step of the way, because that will, that will retain them as we're talking about retention, whether it's in your company or in your in your community um, or in your town, um, the more we can do to make them feel at home and embrace them, uh, the better it is for everyone. Definitely. I mean, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, my business partner's first generation here, his family came over. Um, and, you know, I, I'm not sure 100%. I don't want to attest it to, you know, mindset or the way that we were raised and, and things like that. But, you know, I've learned a tremendous amount from just the way he views the world, you know, through how his dad views the world. And then I go and hang out with his whole family. Um, and if anybody, you know, has any Indian friends or families, you know, that's a good amount of people. <laughs> um, and, you know, their stories and just the whole way they look at the world is, is much different, right? Um, they're very empathetic. Um, they're very good at understanding people. And it seems most of the time it's because they seek to understand first, right? So I'm not putting anything against the American schools or our culture, um, but it's always a question that comes up. So I'm curious to get your guys' opinion on it. You know, why do you think, uh, you know, obviously the majority of students getting their master's, right, at least in computer science, right? A lot of them are, are immigrants and then some of the entrepreneurs in technology come out of those degrees, right, and are also immigrants. Um, so I'm curious, do you think it's more of like a mindset of, you know, wanting to have the American dream or, you know, create this life here? Or is it a foundational difference of how they're raised, you know, compared to, you know, how our environments form us here uh, in the U.S. specifically? Well, I, I'm happy to start that off. Uh, I think it's a uh... It's a couple of things that you just mentioned, right? It's self, some people would say it's self-selected, right? People who immigrate are, want a better life, right? And are really motivated to, to succeed, right? So that's number one. And I think that's, that, that ranges from all socioeconomic, from the, you know, from the laborer on the fields to the tech CEOs, frankly. I just think they're all more motivated because they left for, mostly for economic opportunity or second secondarily to get away from horrific or horrible uh, societies or governments or situations. Um, and so they're motivated. And then I guess combined with that is the culture, you know, that the, the parents really want them to succeed. Again, it's sort of the same thing. They want to take advantage of this opportunity. They want them to succeed in different cultures. Um, but I think all, pretty much all cultures want their kids to succeed and, and put a greater emphasis on education because they want, they know how hard it is, it was to immigrate, right? And so, um, of course, we all hear the, the stereotypes and, and those are not untrue where the Asian parents are, you know, really want their kids to succeed and support them. And, and, and frankly, that's overall a good thing that they're very supportive parents and they want them to do well in school and be successful. Um, so that's how I see it. I, I really, I agree with you. I just, I'm just sort of, explaining a little more uh, the reality of, uh, of 
of the situation. And I think um, this country is better for it. And, you know, I would go further, and I've spoken about this before, is that the reality is the second generations and the third generations become Americanized and become sort of, I don't want to say it, but complacent or not yeah. as motivated. And I fall into that category, frankly, right? So um, my dad is the son of an immigrant, and he worked his tail off. Uh, I, you know, um, did not work as hard as my father. I know, even though I think I worked hard, I did not work as hard as my father, okay? So um, maybe it's because he was a part of 11 kids and had to, you know, <laughs> bust his butt <laughs> to compete with those kids to get a scrap of food at the dinner table to work, you know, in their, in their, their grocery store or whatever. Um, so that, that's right. And that's why, when I, that's why I say the influx of new immigrants is important because they bring that ethic, right? That work ethic. I hate to say it, but it's just a reality of the immigration process. You leave a country to get a better life. You're going to work your ass off. Yep. Couldn't agree more. Definitely could not agree more. And I think like you're saying, I always forget the exact quote, but you know, it's like great times create weak men, right? And bad times create strong men. And it's it's a cycle that happens, right, with anybody. Because if you wake up every day and you know your family's extremely successful already and you grew up that way your whole entire life, you can have a great job, you know, make great money, but just the effort it took to get there is not going to be the same. And therefore, you know, it may diminish where you don't keep trying to grow, you just sustain where you're currently at. Um, so I, I think it's just a great point to touch on. I think the other, you know, main part, obviously outside of work ethic, uh, is just the diversity and experiences, right? The diversity in mindset and the diversity that comes into play in your organization, right? It's it's very evident, at least especially in the technology world and, and in other worlds as well. Just in the technology world, you can have a lot more, you know, abstract challenges or problems that you're trying to solve and you quickly see how everybody's different lens is looking at the same problem compared to, you know, three of you looking at it from the same exact lens. Um, and I think that is, you know, one of the biggest benefits of not just immigration, but diversity, you know, of any workforce is everybody is a combination of their experiences. And you may never know what experiences they had to get them there, but you'll see it, you know, in their work and, and as you collaborate with them. And usually it ends up, you know, with you having an entire new perspective and between your two, you might, you know, form a whole new avenue of how you're looking at a problem where if you weren't with that person, you know, you would have never have changed your perspective to see it from that angle. 100% right, Brian. And I should have mentioned that diversity, there's so much data that reflects that diverse teams uh, create the best innovations. It's as simple as that. And all the way back through history, you could look at Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison's muckers were from all different backgrounds. <laughs> so, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's repeated time and time again. And it's, uh, it, it's just another important reason to, um, you know, include as many immigrants as we could. Awesome. Perfect. Um, 
Well, I think that's great. I think we covered everything, you know, we were looking to James, I can't thank you enough for coming on. You know, it's, it's really great to dive into the ecosystems. I think we'll have to check in in another year or so, as we see, you know, how much continues to change. It feels like every month is a year uh, in, in the world we're in right now. So it was an absolute pleasure to have you on. Um, I'd like just to give you a second to let everybody know where to, you know, find Innovation Plus, uh, where to connect with you, because we'd love to make sure our community can outreach. I'm sure a bunch of people will have some questions and be looking to connect. Sure. Just find me on LinkedIn. There's only one James Baroud. So find me there, connect with me, and uh, I'll make sure I, I get you involved with the community. And, and I look forward to, you know, helping and collaborating going forward. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, James. Thank you, Brandon, as always. Uh, it's another great episode, first one of the year, and can't wait to reconnect soon. Have a great night. Yeah, you too. Thank you so much. Thanks, folks.